I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and today on The Detail, the battle to rewrite New Zealand's war history in the Pacific. William Covers was 16 years old when he became a spy in the Pacific in World War II. He was sent to an outer island called Mitiaro. Sent there from his home in Rarotonga, a top student chosen to study in New Zealand, but the war changed all that. Back in those days, they used to award the Sumawi Pōmari Medal for you know the top native students. Most of the medal winners would go on and be educated in, in wireless operation. In Wellington, there was a school in Wellington. So when, when he got his medal, mm. war, war had kicked in, so he didn't get that chance to come to New Zealand, so he was trained on the spot. Trained to be a native wireless operator, he was one of hundreds scattered across remote islands in the Pacific. His grandson and namesake, Willie Cuthers, tells the story in the Anzac Day documentary called Coast Watchers Operation Pacific. It looks at their role as the eyes and ears of the region on the lookout for strange ships and aircraft using Morse code to send messages back to New Zealand via Fiji. Not much is written about their work, not just forgotten, but not recognised in the first place. The locals of that island, you know, they built like a tin shack, but the tin shack wasn't really for, for my grandfather. It was to keep the equipment from corroding. And he was also given like a little piece of land that he could use to to feed himself. So, you know, that's, he was planting his own stuff. So he was 16 yeah. years old. Off he goes yeah. to this pretty remote island where he has to operate the wireless that sends messages back to Wellington. If he picks up any kind of, what, any communications. Yeah, or he sees in the, in the harbour, you know, in the distance. Yeah. If he sights something or he sees something overhead. A plane. So he, then they report that back to their mother station and that reports to Fiji and that fires back to Wellington. Decades later, Willie, a policeman who's been researching indigenous identity, is still uncovering the full story of the native coast watchers and how they were treated differently to their New Zealand counterparts. There were many from the other islands, but it's just that because it's a history that hasn't been told, then it doesn't exist, but it does exist. Many of the native operators suffered ill health for the rest of their lives, while their Kiwi comrades went home to full health care and benefits. I think our collective memory of the war has worked in a way to, to make invisible or make it very difficult to see the contribution of non-white people. And in the Pacific War especially, those people have been deliberately omitted from many stories. Months after he first told his grandfather's story, Willie Cuthers is still fighting for recognition and to include this story in New Zealand's war history. I was born and raised here. You know, I'm, I'm a New Zealander. And then when you make those phone calls and have those conversations, it, you, can, you can feel, maybe I'm not. He contacted me through Facebook and it ended up in my spam for a while. Um, <laughs> And plus he doesn't have a photo on his Facebook, so I was thinking, who's this? <laughs> Producer and presenter Mihi Narangi Forbes is part of the Aotearoa Media Collective that made the documentary. And eventually I had a quick read of it and I thought, oh, well, this is a really good story. Is it even true? Could it be possibly true? Surely this story's not true because otherwise we would be recognising them and acknowledging it. So I made contact with him and we basically talked for three months over the phone and on Facebook and 
you know, we just did research outside of our other jobs. Um, but when I went to archives in Wellington and spent a day in the archives, it's interesting because there's no data entry. So you can't even put in someone's name and find anything. But I'm used to that through the Māori land courts, so you have to think of really creative ways of thinking, hmm, okay, coast watchers, natives, you know, and another word to see what comes up. So then we would get big files, and I'd just go through page by page, and I started to be finding those names that he was talking about, and I'd ring him and I'd say, I found a name, and he'd be like, no, are you serious? And then I started to see the inequity of it all and the inequality, like the pay rates, and the fact that, you know, some Pacific Island men had to have all their teeth removed at 23. You were put in places which were often new even to other Pacific people. So you were way up there in the tropics. Often they were put in the bush, for instance, so you were exposed more to mosquitoes. Many people experienced health problems, skin infections, diseases from inadequate diets, and of course, you know, living that kind of life, lonely, boredom punctuated by extreme fear, you know, it's a very difficult life. Can you imagine living your life with no teeth, coming back from a couple of years doing hard labour on a little island with no teeth? The New Zealand Navy sent rations for them, like there are lists of what people would be getting, but I know that there was a boat that was travelling in between dropping people off and picking people up because that's how... So if you get the ones that had the, the bad teeth problems or there were sickness, they'd have to wait for that boat to come around. So they, they, they'd struggle with the sickness for a long period. They were dropping off the bulk to the stations. But if you were out on an outer island, um, you didn't qualify for some of the, the food that mm-hmm. they were given. Like you were given a fishing line. Um, you had to make your own garden. None of the mm-hmm. other coast watchers had to grow their own veggies and things like that. So... Um, Absolutely, there was inequity, and and just even in the drop-offs. No recognition at all. Nothing uh, from New Zealand, from New Zealand, and that's who they were under at that time. So once that documentary went out um, on Anzac Day earlier this year, lots of people came forward with stories of their grandparents, their grandmother, their grandfather. Yes, yes, so within the Cook Islands community, I had... um, some of the families would come forward and realise, oh, I didn't realise that that's what, that's what they were doing. I didn't even know that. I, I thought that it was just, they just communicated between the islands. I didn't realise that they were actually part of that, that effort. There was really no detail around what a wireless operator, what, what a radio operator was at that time during the war period. They didn't realise that they were um, in a, in a part of the intelligence function. All of, the, all of that stuff was um, confidential, even the records of to do with that because it all was um, an intelligence operation at the time. And then you had the you know European people from New Zealand that contacted as well because their fathers, their grandfathers were also coast watchers, radio operators at that time, and they, they worked with the men in the islands. So did they have stories to tell? Yeah, yeah. So one of the men, he wrote diaries. He kept diaries of his journeys, which I don't think was a good thing because if they got caught, then they'd have all this record of diaries, but he did... And um, his son was was kind enough to forward on um, different parts of the diaries where he talked about working in on the island of Rarotonga and travelling throughout those islands. And, and even he alluded to the fact that they were well underpaid for an important role. He, he would write in his diary that, you know, he felt that they were being ex- exploited. You know, they were young, healthy, and, and they were 
catching fish, there'd be food for not just the Europeans that were there, but they'd get food for everyone. So he, he talked about that they were really happy, happy men. He felt at that time that you know they were being exploited by the government, New Zealand government, to do this responsible role. That that's what that's what he called it. And so it was real nice to have that communication from people because I wasn't sure how people would take the documentary, if I'm being honest. But yeah, why, why did nice. you say that? Oh, because when you when you make steps to to question history, yeah, there's always some that that had history as it was and that favoured their point of view. So when you put something else out there, you know. You, you know, you feel, oh no, you know, there's going to be some people that won't like the fact that and they'll question why, why am I doing this? Why am I ruining? But it wasn't about um, diminishing the story of any other man. It was just about unearthing the story of these ones that hadn't had a story told yet. There is a r- huge difference between what Pacifica people were paid in the islands yeah. and what people were yeah. paid here in New Zealand. Yeah. And, and that and is one of the things that you want to address or recognition really that these guys did what they did because it it didn't just apply to the cook islands there were coast watchers on the books for new zealand and tonga and fiji and samoa and niue uh tuvalu all those countries that were um, under new zealand admin at the time my focus was my grandfather because I can't speak on on behalf of people that I don't know. But they there were many from the other islands. But it's just that because it's a history that hasn't been told, then it doesn't exist. But it does exist. It's pretty tricky because you know what we know is that as soon as you acknowledge that it happened, then um, I think what the government fears is that they're going to have to be financially responsible for something. I don't know what that might be. Um, but I do know that in our research what we found is with Pākehā New Zealand Coast Watchers that they became part of the army and so then they did receive probably health services and veteran services and things like that and um, that time's passed for those Coast Watchers because none of them are alive anymore. Well if there are they are very few and we don't know about them. So when Willie says we don't want anything we just want acknowledgement, I truly believe him but I don't think the government trusts that enough to believe it and to honour it. This is one story, but it goes beyond that. So this is the story of Willie's grandfather and a story that he accidentally came across doing some other research for his family. Um, But the story is so much wider when you listen to the documentary and you know Damon Salisa, who's an associate professor, uh, he's come across and researched his own stories because he comes from a village in Samoa who were also coast watchers. Then you reach out a little bit further and you realise that actually it's every island of the Pacific. And um, then when you get to uh, Kiribati, th- there's some extraordinary stories that happened there that have been told. Actually, RNZ's told a few of those in the in the past. But nothing's really been done in a big combined story, so you have all these tiny little stories. And, and I guess that's what kind of happened with... Um, you know, in terms of Māori narratives and stories, in terms of treaty settlements, you know, they used to be kind of individual stories and then collectively during the 1970s they started to come together and a movement happened. So perhaps we will see that in a decade's time, but for Willie, you know, he just he needs that now for mm. his kids mm. and for himself. 
So it sounds like you have now got a lot of amazing stories from people. What are you doing with all that, all that information? Well, at the moment, I'm, I'm waiting to see, is, is the government going to recognise the Cook Islanders? Because if you recognise the Cook Islanders, you're going to have to recognise all the Pacific. You're still waiting because, I mean, this is several months and you uh, got in touch with the Minister of Heritage, the Defence Minister and the Prime Minister to see what sort of recognition there would be, retrospective um, attestation you talk about. Yeah. And the Prime Minister said that she supported the Defence Force investigation and said that that should be given high priority. So what has happened? Um, The last communications I had was after the documentary was released, um, I contacted the Prime Minister's office and they were, you know, it was a quick reply. But their way, they were waiting on on Defence Force before they would be able to get back to me. Okay, so nothing? Nothing has happened? Nothing really. Um, and saying that, I'm mindful that you know it's not the not the best year for New Zealand. True. Um, yeah, you know, and I'm, I, I so I haven't really, I haven't really pushed, bothered because you know I understand we we've been dealing with a lot this year as a country. So I don't want to be that guy that's just that annoying thorn on the side while we've got huge things going on. In the documentary, we hear that they didn't get the pensions that their New Zealand counterparts got. There's no recognition in the war museums, no kind of mm. recognition of their role. They are not part of the stories about the New Zealand wartime efforts. And is that what you are looking for? Yeah, yeah. What do you call it? Compensation, anything like that. I don't really care about that sort of stuff. You know, my granddad's dead. Nothing's going to bring him back, but... In terms of being a part of history, that's an important thing. And I think you see that across the board, that um, people want their story to remain. They don't want their story to to disappear, because once their story disappears, they disappear. So it's important that there is that, that sort of recognition. And in saying that, I, I have been working with the Auckland Museum. Um, they were been really helpful, and they've listed... So on the online cenotaph, you'll see most of those names for the for the Cook Islands men that are on the online cenotaph now, as Coast Watchers at that time, and also trying to put that message out for others to from the other islands to, you know, put their names forward and, and any details around to prove or or to validate that they were doing that role at that time. And what about the actual stories, people's stories? How do you make sure that they are on record? That's a hard one. Someone I don't want to say me, but yeah, like would need to write write a book to keep those stories because a lot of those those stories are already getting lost now because some other descendants of those people are quite old and have already passed on mm. so that's quite hard but having names for a start somewhere recognized is always a good thing because then it, just seeing a name there it would allude to a story if you know what i'm saying that's right so yeah. someone yeah so so maybe a great grandchild can go oh they were doing that and then they can look up and um to see what, what they were doing at that time, what their that role consisted of and how it contributed to the overall war effort. And then you can relate it to the Australian Coast Watchers as well and look at that and say, oh, so these men, Indigenous men, were doing this in Australia and Australia did recognise them for their for their contribution and, and all of that. Mm. So names, names for a start is very important and there's a lot of names on there now that weren't there before. 
The thing is, Willie, you've known about your grandfather's story for a long time, but it was when you started working on the documentary that you discovered so much more. Um, I knew I knew what he did. I didn't know what that was. Like I knew that he was doing that. So before the documentary, because I was studying at the time and I was looking into what was the radio operator doing, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw, oh, hold on. These guys were part of um, an intelligence operation. So I contacted um, my uncle and said, oh, was Granddad ever recognised or did he have service um, record? Because that's a military operation that he was he was part of. So he was employed. He would have been employed by the New Zealand Defence Force at that time. And he said, no, no, he didn't have anything like that. So that's when I started looking at it, when I was making those inquiries with Defence Force, with um, Ministry of Heritage about how come there's no records of of service for these men at that time. And when, when you are researching eh, and you, you get on that buzz and you, you keep going, it's, it's, a, it's a good feeling. At the same time, you can get shot down a lot and... <laughs> Um, get and trampled on a bit. Were you? Yeah. Oh, you know, just just yeah. When you're making those, you know, connections, saying, "Oh, how come they weren't?" And then people say, "Oh, because they were, they didn't do anything," or they'd say to you that it's up to the Cook Islands government, or those records must be in the Cook Islands. But you have to point out to them, but they were under New Zealand admin until 1960s. Man, they were part of you. New Zealand called them, the, you know, New Zealand's island territories, and then in that time, so yeah, you know, and you feel you feel a bit sad. That when 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 it's like that, because you're I'm what am I? I'm 41 now, and I've been I was born and raised here. You know I'm I'm a New Zealander, and then when you make those phone calls and have those conversations, you can you can feel maybe I'm not. Well, that's sad. But that's you know you you expect that. Do you? When it's history, when it's challenging history, when you're looking at history, but you know, you had those feelings, you know, oh, maybe I'm not a New Zealander then if that's how he's viewed, my grandfather's viewed. There's one moment in the documentary where he says he's never felt part of Anzac. Being here on the Laguna Ararangi, I can't help but think about New Zealand's relationship with the Pacific. My people are proud of the contribution they made to defending New Zealand. How many Kiwis are even aware of it? It's always made the Anzac story very difficult for me. I don't care about me, but I think it's just important <clears throat> if, if I can step us into Anzac, then my kids, because they're young, so you know, it's their Anzac, because I don't think it'll ever be my Anzac. I think that's really sad given he's a police officer and he serves just like his grandfather has that when Anzac Day happens he feels like he's not part of it when he should absolutely be at the heart of it. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Willie Cuthers and Mihi Narangi Forbes. And you can watch the documentary on RNZ's website, Mā Te Wā.